0: This is Matt Freitas, and you're listening to the Late Night History Podcast. Tonight's guest is Ed Loader. Ed spent 43 years in the Boston Fire Department, with more than 20 of those years with Rescue Company One. Ed is considered the most decorated firefighter in BFD's history. In this episode, Ed speaks about the realities of the fire service, the stuff that usually doesn't make the TV shows, train accidents, plane crashes, deadly scenarios that often don't have a happy ending. It's dark, it's raw, but it's the truth. We also discussed some of Ed's greatest rescues. The saves and attempts that were photographed and made the newspapers. These include rappelling off the roof to save a woman 17 stories up, catching a jumper with only one hand like it was a movie, and sometimes, humorously, forgetting to throw on all his gear and racing to a call while wearing Sperry's. If you want a real look at what it's like to work as a firefighter during the infamous war years, this is the episode to listen to. Ed was on the road when this was made, so bear with us when the audio is wonky at times. All that being said, here is episode 28 with Ed (laughs) Loader. So, so
1: uh, can you tell me where you grew up?
2: I grew up in Cambridge, and uh, let's see, yeah, I was there until, oh, I don't know, maybe my early 20s, and...
1: What got you interested in joining the uh, fire department?
2: Well, what happened was uh, around the corner from where I grew up, there was a firehouse over there, and uh, I used to walk by it all the time, and i got to the point where i used to uh, you know know some of the guys that were there and kind of took a liking to them they took a liking to me and kind of started hanging around a little bit you know and as i get older i uh i don't know i really get interested in, in the job you know and probably oh i don't know like maybe 18 or something i uh i couldn't wait to take the exam to actually get on the job which you couldn't do it until you were uh, 21 years of age so when uh just prior to that i had taken the exam and six months probably about six months after that i got a letter in the mail telling me that uh, i was considered as a candidate for the uh for the boston fire department so I had to go over to headquarters on uh, Southampton Street and sign a book stating that uh, I would accept the job. So what I did is I went over there naturally and signed the book. And next thing I know, I think, uh, I don't know, a couple of months after that, I ended up in drill school down on Moon Island. And I went to drill, drill school down there. And while I was in drill school, everybody got assigned to different companies in the city. And I got assigned to a lot of two in East Boston. So, uh, you know, I spent a couple of years over there. And uh, those were the war years, as they say. East Boston was burning. And... The two years that I was there, there was quite a few fires on, on the Boston side, which, you know, being young and everything, I wanted to, uh, you know, get a lot more work than than what we were doing. So I asked to, uh, you know, be transferred and everything. I put a paper in, and uh, usually they didn't take people out of East Boston because nobody wanted to work in East Boston. So the paper was kind of like... Uh, put aside, you know, I wasn't considered for a, uh, for a transfer. So what happened was back then they have what they call the, uh, the aerial exhibition drill team. And it was a special team that used to go around, uh, during fire prevention week and they would put these shows on, uh, different parts of the city. And one of them was at the uh, burn center down there at the Mass General for the kids. It was all uh, aerial exhibition, you know, work. I mean, guys would go up and they'd hang off the ladders, and they'd take two aerial ladders, they put them together, they put a piece of rope in the middle of it, and guys would slide on the rope upside down, no hands, and it was quite a thing. That uh, was the only kind. Of It's kind of actually in the country from what we were told. So anyhow, doing that, you were kind of like considered, uh, you know, uh, if you wanted to transfer, that they would take care of you. So that's how I actually ended up getting out of East Boston was because I was a member of the drill team.
1: Before, so you, before you go down that, I want to ask you about some of your, uh, you know, some of the incidents that you're at when you're at ladder two. Yeah. Um, there was, like, a 1800 Club fire?
2: Yeah, uh, down on the waterfront, uh, there was a, a club down there. It was called Ken Harrelson, the uh, baseball player. He owned a club down there uh, called the 1800 Club. And I actually caught fire one night. And we were working, and uh, we were actually down in Jeffrey's Point for an automobile fire. And a fireboat on the other side of the harbor spotted the fire, and they asked fire alarm to transmit the uh, the box. So with that being said, we knew that you know we were on the box because there's only two ladder companies in East Boston at the time, which today is still only two ladder companies. So we responded to it anyway, and uh, I think it ended up into like five alarms and pretty much burnt it, you know, burnt it out. But they also had another fire in that same building, oh, I don't know, a while after the first fire that we had. So we had that, and like I said, I was on ladder two at the time for that one. And then we had a fire on a, um, a Liberian ship down at Bethlehem Steel, which was you know, quite different uh, than a building fire. That ended up into like three alarms, I think, you know. And then uh, another time we had a a tanker up at Mobile Oil. There was a guy up there. He was uh, filling his tanker and I didn't think he put the ground strap on. They're supposed to put a ground strap on it and it had some kind of a spark and next thing you know, the tank blew up and he ended up getting burnt to death on the side of the door they called a rack and uh, so I had that and what about oh then he had the Delta plane crash there that came in uh, in July I don't know I think it was around 72 he hit the seawall coming in and it was like 98 people aboard that plane and Oh, pretty much all of them uh, getting killed. They all did, except for one guy. He survived, but he uh, he only lived for about a month because he was burnt, you know, about 90% of his body. He actually should have died right then and there, but he was the only one that, uh, that I seen that survived.
1: Yeah, that was Boston's worst plane crash in history, I believe. That was July 31st, 1973.
2: I have it right I, here. I don't know if it was 73, because I think I was out of East Boston by then.
1: Yeah, I think I might have. it was Do you think you were with Ladder 15 then?
2: No, no, I definitely with Ladder 2. Okay. We were the first Boston truck on scene. Because they have a procedure over there in the airport. Uh, I don't know if it's the same way today. But I remember standing out in front of the firehouse about eight thirty, nine 9 o'clock in the morning. And across the street from the firehouse is a courthouse. So we used to watch the people going in and out of the courthouse. Next to the firehouse was a post office. So there's always quite a bit of uh, foot traffic around that area. So anyway, by standing there, you could hear the department radio in the background. Uh, <clears throat> guy comes on the radio and he's call fire alarm easy one a fire alarm easy one so i look at the other guy I was standing there with i said who the hell is easy one because we knew all the call that is for all the companies in the city and he says uh fire alarm says uh, fire alarm answering easy one he said strike six one two so i looked at the other guy I said, that's the airport so anyway we jump in the piece and we get down to uh the south gate And when you get down there, there's uh, a pickup truck uh, from, uh, you know, the airport with a big signboard in the back of it saying, follow me. So it was engine nine, ladder two. We were the first down there, and uh, we followed this pickup truck out. And we were going behind uh, jets that were, uh, you know, the engines were running and everything else. And we were actually on the tarmac on the runways and everything, you know couldn't figure out what the hell was going on because we didn't know at the time. So we get out there anyway, and um, it was a foggy day, real foggy day. You couldn't see too much, you know. So the truck stopped, the pickup, and I stopped. I look over to my, like, my left, and I see something smoldering. So I thought it was like an ash barrel or something. I said, what the hell ass are we coming out here for? I said, I said, oh, I know what this is. I said, it's one of them sneaky drills that they lay on you well anyway uh, I get out and I look I said no it was a set of wheels to a plane then as I looked around the more I looked around the more I could see like I thought they were mannequins but they were people you know they had been catapulted from the plane and everything and then the next thing you know I mean we just started you know walking around looking to find people that were alive you know but obviously I mean they were all pretty much dead and uh, so that lasted. That lasted quite a while, about four or five hours, I think. We were out there, and all we did was pick up people and parts and pieces of people, and uh, they hauled them away. And <clears throat> they took them down to the airport firehouse I guess. And then they were, you know, complaining down there. They didn't want to store the bodies in there, so they made some type of an arrangement to take them over to uh, the southern mortuary. But there were so many of them that they didn't have any room over there, so they ended up uh, they rented a couple of tractor trailers, for, uh, reefer trailers, and then they started storing the bodies in there. And what else? That's uh, pretty much it. I mean, other than you know, we had subway um, train crashes and people getting run over by trains.
1: At yeah, too. Two. Huh? Was that at Ladder 2?
2: It was all at Ladder 2, yeah.
1: What, uh, do you have a, like, a memorable train uh incident from when you were there?
2: Uh, we had a guy one time, he, I don't know how he got caught between the platform and the, uh, and the train car, I remember that, and he was alive when we got there, but, the I minute mean, they took the pressure off him and everything, he ended up, uh, he died, you know. And that was about, you know, that was a weird, crazy one, you know. Usually you get him and uh, the train runs all over them or something. But he was caught between the platform and the uh, and the train. I don't know how he get in there. But uh, it was kind of strange to see that.
1: Right. And when you're at ladder two, uh you know nowadays guys have like bunker gear that they wear what were what was your uniform and what type of uh like what did you have like what did you wear when you went on a call?
2: Well, and a lot of times it was a dungaree jacket, you know, but I mean if it was a building fire and you you'd put a rubber coat on and that'd be about it. I mean, you had work shoes, work boots on, but you never wore rubber boots. I never did. People in ladder companies, some of them did, some of them didn't. You know, they ended up wearing, you know, work shoes. And, uh, you know, like I say, some guys, uh, I mean, had rubber coats. Sometimes you wore them, sometimes you didn't. You know, it was crazy. (laughs) But I remember when I come on the job, they they gave us, uh, they got a box key. In fact, I still have it today on my key ring. And uh, that was all we got. And we went down to drill school and uh, we wore dungaree jackets down there and dungarees and then we got to work like i say saturday day or saturday night <clears throat> in the firehouse and everything so what about you know a helmet and a fire coat or something they said well when you get in there borrow it <laughs> <laughs> so you'd have to find somebody's locker that was open or whatever and you you'd end up wearing his stuff today <laughs> They go down to drill school the first day. They go the second day in drill school. They get everything, all this bunker gear, bunker pants, and uh, helmets. We never got nothing. It's funny how the job changed over the years.
1: Yeah, and uh, you mentioned that you got a fire like a box key. Can you like I I don't know how other cities uh, work, but can you explain what that is? Oh,
2: it's a box key that uh, you can open a fire alarm box that's on the, uh, on the say, street corner, the red boxes. That key, you can open it and you can line the box, you know, and then you just close it. And like if you wanted to test it, there's a little, I don't know, uh, there's a lever in there. You could stick it in, to, they call it, take it out of service or something, and you could pull a box and, and watch the wheel. Go around the wheels that are on the inside of that box are like numbers. So in other words, say uh, Mass Ave on Boylston Street, box 15. Well, that wheel inside would have a one and then it would have a five on it. And we'd go around clicking. And every time it clicked, the fire alarm it would register up there. So in other words, if you had a fire like on Boylston Street, And you ran up to the corner and you pulled that hook that would register in the fire alarm office. And then fire alarm knew the location of it. And then they would send the companies out or they would, they call transmit the box one, five, whatever. And the companies in that area knew that they responded to that location. So the box key used to open that box. They probably still do today. I think. And, uh, then they have today, uh, what they call a Knox box. It's a box on the outside of a building that's painted red. And you could take this box key and open up the Knox box. It'd be a set of keys in there that would open the front door to that office building. And, uh, what else? The box key. And that's basically about it. That's the reason for the box key, but, I don't know why they game to us. I guess maybe they had a, an oversupply of them or something.
1: <laughs> no, that's fascinating. And I remember when uh, we talked another time, uh, you said you wanted to transfer out of Ladder 2 to another uh, company to kind of see more action. Can you kind of talk Correct. about going yeah. to Ladder 15?
2: Yeah, what I did is uh, when I first got to Ladder 2, first get on a job and everything. You have to sit down and meet with the captain and he tells you what group he's going to put you on and he just got different questions for you and one of the questions was, you know, what did you do before you get on the fire department? And I said to him, well, I said, I used to, uh, I drove gasoline trail, you know. Oh, he says, you're a truck driver. I said, yeah. He says, that's just what I need. He says, uh, these guys over here, they don't know how to drive shit. So, he put me on his group anyway, and uh, so I was there. But he, you know, when I wanted to put the paper, and he kept questioning me. What do you want to go on the other side for? He said, "We get anything you need as far as fires or emergencies." He says, "You're going to get them here." He said, "You're going to shoot, get a ship fire over there on the other side." And I said, "I don't know." I don't know. He says, "How about a, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it there?" Uh, he mentioned a plane crash. he said, you got a plane over there, and I, said, I laughed, you know. And he says, "How about a tank farm fire?" He said, "We have all that stuff over here, the potential." He said, "You won't get that on the other side." Well, anyway, lo and behold, he must <laughs> he must have uh, put a whammy on the airport or something because we ended up uh, with the plane crash. We ended up with the oil tank uh, fire up there in the heights, and. Uh, so he, uh, and the funny part about us, every time the chief would go on vacation or District 1, they would put like the senior captain in the car to cover him. And they used to put him in the car. Well, every time he got in the car, something weird would happen. And he happened to be in the car that day that that plane crashed. So they kind of nicknamed him Jinxie. You know? <laughs> every time he get in the car, something's going to happen, you know. So anyway, I, he tried to talk me out of it, and uh, I just put the paper in, and next thing I know, I was over there on on Ladder 15.
1: And you got to Ladder 15 in when? Was that like
2: 1972? Yes, uh, right at the uh, the Vendome, when the Vendome collapsed and nine guys got
1: killed can you talk about your experience how you weren't uh working at the time and how you found out and just kind of talk about what happened there
2: yeah i was uh i wasn't on a of 15 but i had gotten out of work that morning and uh it was a sad sad morning i guess my wife and i were out and you know we went uh went out to this club and a friend of mine was a cop you know and uh he came into the club and he's looking at me. He says, "What are you doing here?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" He said, "I figured you'd be working." I said, "No." I said, "I worked last night." He said, "Well, you, you didn't hear?" I said, "Hear what?" He said, "They had a fire over there." He says, "And the building collapsed." He says, "About quite a few firemen that had killed got killed and they're missing." So I looked at him. I was like, "Like I hit with a brick wall, you know?" He's gotta be shitting me, you know. So anyway, I think was. The next day we went in and uh, went right down on the pile and everything, you know, sifting through the rubble, looking for some of the guys and everything. Well, but they had pretty much located all of them anyway. But, uh, yeah, that was 70, 72, I guess, yeah.
1: And what happened? Like, uh, what's it, like a seven-story hotel? Um, Yeah, it was
2: a hotel. It was under construction, and uh, they had been in there, and they supposedly removed the bearing wall or something, and that's what caused it, I guess, caused the collapse, but uh, it caught fire, obviously, first, but they went in there, and all the water, I guess, that they poured on it, and that's, uh, I guess, one of the reasons why it collapsed, and Ladder 15 was in the rear of the building. They had thrown the aerial to the roof, I guess. And part of the rear of it came down and and crushed Ladder 15, you know, and uh, they uh, they had to get another truck to replace it. But, uh, yeah, that was in 72, I think. 72, 73, yeah.
1: And how long were you at Ladder 15 for? That was in Back Bay, right?
2: Yes. Uh, I had just transferred over there, I guess. Before it or after it, I'm not sure.
1: And you were there for, like, 12, 12 or 13 years? Is that right?
2: Yeah, about 13 years.
1: Is there another, um, you know, memorable experience during that? Like, of course, there's been many, but uh, from off the top of your head?
2: Uh, no, I mean, we were busy. There were a lot of fires we had gone to. to uh, call it during the war years in the 70s they uh, had that arson ring over there. They were building, uh, you know, I mean, they was burning buildings down all around Symphony Road, Hemingway Street, all the Back Bay uh, over there by fire alarm, Charles Gate East, and I mean, it, the fires were everywhere. You'd go into work at night, and uh, the next thing you know, I mean, it would be nothing to go out to a couple, two, three multiples a night. You know, trail arms here. Two alarms there, five alarms here. And, I mean, these buildings were leaping, most of them, you know. And then they had one on uh, Peterborough Street there. They lost like five or six people over there. Westland Ave, I remember, they had three or four people over there. We lost one night. And, uh, I mean, it's just it was almost like an everyday occurrence, you know.
1: What was the arson ring?
2: There was a bunch of guys that... Uh, they were burning buildings down. Um, I can't think of the name. There was a few of them. They would hang around what they called. Uh, there was a Howard Johnson's there over my headquarters. And there'd be a bunch of them over there hanging around in cars and everything. And uh, they were uh, they were responsible for, for lighting quite a few of the fires. And there's a book that, uh, that's out there today. It's called... Uh, burn boston burn or something like that and it tells you the whole story about how these people were operating and everything and one of them that was arrested was this kid uh he used to come into the firehouse there on uh of 15 and he wanted to get on the fire department and uh for some reason he couldn't but he ended up getting on the police on the boston police and Nat whittemore was a photographer for channel four I think it was had pictures of him uh, all three or four of them were together out there and they had been watching them and he's out there waving his gun around shooting his gun off and everything so the awesome squad and the uh and I think it was the Boston police but anyway they were watching these guys and sure enough they uh They lined them up at different fires and they were there all, you know, every time there was a multiple, they were there. But the actual story of it, I mean, right down to the, you know, to what they were doing and then how they were doing it is all on, uh, it's all in this book. And they burnt down the Sparks club in South Boston. They were responsible for that. And they were responsible for a lot of fires. You know and they all uh pretty much all went to jail and some of them i don't know if there's one or two of them maybe still around today but i don't uh i i don't know where the hell they are even if i fell over them but that was that was way back uh way back then
1: you know. right and you said that was during the war years which was I think it was 1963 to 1983. Is that right? Does that sound right? Uh,
2: Yeah, that could be right.
1: And that was just like... I
2: I thought they said the 70s. I mean, it might have been all these 60s. You know, the middle 70s, early 80s, I guess.
1: And then uh, after Ladder 15, you went to Rescue 1. Uh, Can you talk about why you wanted to go to the rescue company... Uh, what rescue well, companies do and that type prior, of thing?
2: Prior to that, I I was in car four. I drove car four for a couple of years. And while I was there, the chief that I was driving wanted to go back to East Boston because he was originally from there. So he had asked me to go with him. And I said, you know, I said, I'm going to stay over here. I'm going to get on the rescue because I liked... The rescue work i know they pretty much went to every fire they were and not only that is that not just the firefighting but if you were mechanically involved in everything because they looked at the rescue to uh to do these crazy maneuvers and everything which you know i like that i mean i was always involved in mechanics and uh tools and and things like that so I thought that would be a good stopover for me, which it was, you know, I went down there and we, we did things down here that the normal, you know, engine companies, a lot of companies didn't do, you know, so it worked out well. And, you know, having a little bit of uh, being mechanically inclined, it, uh, it was good.
1: And what type of uh, equipment does, like a rescue? Uh...
2: Well, in other words, if, if somebody jumped in front of a train and the train went over them, naturally, I mean, they, they got killed. So you'd have to get down there and you'd have to retrieve the body and the body parts and everything, which sometimes uh, involves in jacking the train up. So you've got to kind of have uh, a little bit of knowledge on how to do that. You know, I mean, you just didn't get on here and do it. You were trained to do it. So that's what I liked about it, you know. A lot of the things, the ropes, high-angle rope rescues and everything. You know, the average ladder company doesn't do that. The engine companies don't do it. They look at the rescue to do that, you know. And uh, so people with the uh, cotton machines and everything, your arms, their legs, they look at the rescue to get down here and get that person that's trapped out you know uh, sometimes it requires to uh removing the you know the machine or taking the machine apart to get this person out you know so that type of work you know the car accidents uh you know there was an incident that happened years ago and the uh, guy in a dump trailer He hit the bridge apartment uh, on the Tobin Bridge. And I don't know what year it was. I forget. But the upper deck of the Tobin Bridge collapsed down on top of his truck with the guy. You know, the guy was still in. And he was killed. So they were moving and they tried to get this guy out. But they are afraid to start moving things around that the rest of the bridge wouldn't come down. So... They ended up, I think it was like, I don't want to say two or three days went by and uh, Chelsea, city of Chelsea came over and they had what they called a Hearst tool. It was the first set of Jaws of Life that was in this area and Chelsea had it. Boston didn't have it at the time. So they went in there with the Jaws and everything and they, they cut this guy out and they got him out. But it was like a couple of days. So. I think it was the next day after that, the city of Boston went and bought like two or three of them. And they put them on both rescue companies. So, you know, things like that. People get mangled in uh, machines and cars and, and things like that. And the jaws of life. You put the jaws of life to work. So today, it's not just the Hearst tool. It's called the Amkis tool, the Homata tool. It depends on which which one you want, you know. And it used to be uh, operated on a power unit, a gasoline power unit on hydraulics. Now today they're battery operated, which allows you to take that tool and go into a, say, go into an explosive area. You don't have the, uh, the power unit that uh, could cause an explosion, at least with the battery operated part of it, you can go in there and, and do the same work. And it's the same power that you would have with the, uh, the hydraulic unit. So things like that, uh, anytime there was a new tool that came along, they would give it to the rescue to try it. And then we would have to make out like a, what they call a form five. And, uh, we would send it in the headquarters and tell them what we thought of it. And depending on whether they would buy it, if we liked it fine, if we didn't like it, then, then they would bought it. So, uh, which was a good thing, you know, because we got to actually play with a lot of things over the years.
1: When did you get to, uh, Rescue 1? Uh, I would say probably
2: 80, 80, 81, something like that, I think.
1: And you also said that you were a driver. Uh, I imagine driving down the narrow streets of Boston's pretty tough. You talk about... Just navigating that?
2: Yeah, I, uh, I was used to big trucks. Like I say, before I got on a job, I drove track to trailer. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of firefighters that they hire, and there ain't too many of them that can actually drive a truck. I mean, they can drive, but they uh, don't have the confidence in themselves that, say, a guy like myself, you know, I mean, I'd take that thing, I squeeze it here, squeeze it there which i did a few times when i was on uh, was on ladder two if you're familiar with these boston a lot of three-deckers just like south boston you know and a lot of narrow streets and i remember one time we had a fire over there in a couple of three-deckers and i got the, uh, down on i think it was summer street and i got the aerial down there positioned the truck just right got the aerial up in between all the wires the telephone wires and Got it up on the roof and was able to get up there and uh, and invent the building. We got relieved at the fire. And then the captain called me at the house. He said, Hey, he said, the deputy wanted to know who was driving Ladder 2 last night. So, why is that? He said, They couldn't believe it. He said, We actually got that aerial up on the roof. And so, I mean, things like that, you know, compliments that kind of made me the the chauffeur i guess you know a lot of people like i said they didn't want to drive because they didn't know where they were going number one and number two they uh, wouldn't attempt to do what i would attempt to do so it kind of put me up in the front seat a lot
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh before we go into like some of your famous calls when you're at rescue one um i remember i don't know i don't know if you told me in person or over the phone but uh, you said you'd do some like cross-training with the FDNY rescue companies. Is that right, or?
2: I mean, we knew, we would get down here sometimes, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Citrino we had a lot of, he had some connections down there, you know. You we went down to that Randall's Island. That's where they do all their training and everything. And we have been down there a couple of times just watching and doing different maneuvers. But I mean, to actually officially do anything like that uh, the only thing I can remember is they had a couple of guys down there when they first come out with these uh, uh, search ca- uh, cameras and everything they came into Boston they were New York New York firefighters and they trained they trained actually the rescue companies and I don't know who else on these thermo. they call them thermal imaging cameras you could go into a fire building and take this camera and you know, look around, you could actually see people in there, in the heat and everything. And that's what it was. It was uh, like a heat center type of, you could take it up and you could actually see the person, you know. So anyways, he, the city bought, uh, I don't know, he bought a few of these helmets that had a camera on the side of it. I never used it. The other guys did. But, I mean, it was heavy. Next thing you know, the helmet would be shifted to your side or whatever. It would have a, a, a fold-down picture screen that would be in front of your face. And you could go in there and you could look around and you could see people. You know, it would detect heat. You know, and then uh, as time went on, they improved it and they come up with a handheld one. And a lot of guys use them. In fact, today I think they use... Uh, they use that type today.
1: And was one of the FDNY firefighters a guy named Ray Downey?
2: He was the captain of rescue two, Ray Downey. Yeah, he got uh, he got killed in the trade center. Uh, we met him one time. He was like I say, he was a captain of rescue two, and we got uh, pretty good friends with a couple of guys down there. And we used to get out there on St. Patty's Day and everything, and. You know, Ray's hell or whatever, and I can remember went down to the firehouse there when they were working one day, and uh, Ray was there, and he introduced us to him, and vice versa, and uh, and then the trade center happened, and he got—he was one of the first guys I think to get killed. You know, they were coming down the street when the towers come down. He uh, was—I think he was a safety
1: chief at the time when that happened. Yeah, so it, this kind of comes full circle, because I remember you telling me about Ray Downey, and I actually reached out to his son, Joe Downey, who's actually, he's the, bata- yeah, they, oh, go ahead.
2: I think hes he's got two kids, I think, on the job, and both chiefs, I think.
1: I believe so, yeah, and I talked to one of them. His name's Joe Downey, and he's yeah. uh, on the, rest. he's the battalion chief of Special Operations Command in the FDNY. Okay. Suck, yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was really interesting because he kind of just fell into his father's footsteps, kind of doing the same thing. But yeah, yeah, it's pretty tragic what happened to obviously to his dad Ray. But um, but moving into your some of like your uh more famous calls in um when you were at Rescue One. I'm just gonna go down like the order here. I got one from 1987. It was an ele- elevator shaft rescue. Can you uh, talk about that?
2: Yeah, they uh, there was a couple of guys uh, in the middle of the Bank of Boston, and they were working out of a basket. And what it was was a shaft that went from the uh, ground floor all the way up to the roof of the building. And it's a shaft that they uh, they used to run all the uh, uh, the electrical power, the the ventilation system. Uh, they used the shaft to run everything, I guess. And these guys were in this basket, and they are probably, I don't know, halfway down when the the basket malfunctioned. And it was the shaft that was about, oh, I don't know, I want to say 30, maybe 30 by 30 if I'm not mistaken. And uh, there was nothing underneath them. <laughs> and they couldn't get out of it. They couldn't go up, they couldn't go down, so next thing you know, we we got a call to uh, to go in there and see if we could get these guys, which we got in there and we went in and looked and said, well, the only way we're going to get these guys is we're going to have to uh, repel down to them. So we found an anchor point and and a stairwell. We set up our ropes and everything. And uh, myself and this Paul Carey, uh, we we were above them. And then we kind of like, repelled down to them. And we (laughs) remember saying to the guy, you know, step over to the side, you know, and I'm going to hook into you. And I said, just, you know, wrap your arms around my neck and your legs around my legs and we'll repel down to the ground floor. He was all nervous and everything. He he didn't want to do this. I'm not going to... I said, how else are you going to get out of here? (laughs) So he... (laughs) Finally coaxed him into doing it and everything. I said, you'll be all right. I said, I'm hooked right into you. I said, look at me. I said, I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. So anyways, I got him hooked into me and uh, took him down to the ground floor. And uh, he says to me, he said, wow. He said, that's great. He says, you guys must do this all the time, huh? And I said, no, it's the first time I ever done it. <laughs> <laughs> he was all upset and everything, you know. I was laughing, but like I said, we train for stuff like that so that when the time comes, you know, we got no problem doing it. You know, it just takes a little bit of balls, I guess, to do it. <laughs> so, but yeah, he was—he uh, was all upset when he found out it was the first time we did it.
1: That's pretty so, cool, though. I didn't realize that yeah. would be like the first time that you would do something like that, but that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, well, like I said, we, we've repelled practicing and everything, but they actually, uh, you know, save somebody like that, yeah. But I mean, again, like I said, we, we train a lot with the ropes and everything. So, you know, window washes, you know, that happens a lot down there in, in not just Boston, but any of these high-rises that, uh, you know, the window washes. They, uh, you know, they get hung up there, and uh, some you got to get them. It's take out a plate glass window and, you know, reach out there. Uh, Depends on on how you do it, you know. Yeah, and it's kind of different, you know.
1: Right, and um, so for that elevator rescue, you got the Roll of Merit, and throughout your career, you got four Roll of Merits and one Walter Scott Medal. That's right. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to embarrass you, Ed, but I uh, no, I do yeah. wanna talk about <laughs> I do wanna uh cover the you know, your experiences just cause I find them fascinating and I think other people find them fascinating and it's just pretty cool. Uh Oh yeah, yeah,
2: it is, yeah.
1: And there was it's- also one in uh nineteen ninety, um, the Ritz Carlson Carlton.
2: Yes. Yeah, that was, uh, that started out as an attempted suicide. And again, you know, they send the rescue in there and, uh, we pull up anyway and we get out of the, you know, get out of the rescue. We look up and I see this person sitting in the window at the top floor and she's got her feet up on the windowsill and she's sitting there anyway. And, uh, so we go upstairs anyway but before we went up we said you know there's no floor really above other than the roof you know so why don't we grab some ropes and uh we'll go what they call a bumblebee suit and uh so we grabbed that and we go up there anyway and uh, the boston police they have a, uh, a negotiating team you know a couple of cops anyway and we get to the top floor and, uh, you know, they're talking to her and they're trying to get her to come in and she's not coming in, you know, she's, I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump and so we're looking at one another saying, you know, if she's going to jump, she probably would have because nine times out of ten, if they're going to do it, they do it and when we get there, they've already done it, you know, but this one here, she's hanging in the window and everything, we're looking and, So let's go up in the roof. So we go up in the roof anyway, and kind of sneak over to the side, looking over the edge of the roof. And she's right below us, you know. So anyways, it's a team back. So I got what they call a bumblebee suit in my hand, got bags of rope and everything. And now we had to make a plan to, uh, on what we were gonna do. So the plan was we gotta send somebody over the side. And, uh, and now they're looking around. Nobody's saying, oh, "I'll go, I'll go, I'll go." Fucking, it's a 17 stories above the ground. So I said, "I'll go." I said, "I don't mind," you know. I said, besides the rest of you guys are too fat. I see a lot of snap the rope. So, anyways, <laughs> I get the bumblebee suit. I put that on and everything. In the meantime, we're looking for an anchor point up on the roof. And we find an anchor point, and. Next thing I know, ladder 17 comes up there, and uh, this kid, Mikey Walsh, he was lieutenant on ladder 17. He says, Are you sure you want to do this? He says, What happens if the fucking rope snaps? I said, well, I guess I'm dead. <laughs> I said, No. Nah. So we set up what they call an airbag. It's a bag that they use in Hollywood, the stunt people use. So we set that up, and uh, down, well, they set it up down on the sidewalk, but things only good for like about three or four floors. And other than that, you, you'd get hurt, you get killed, you know? So that was the thing. I said, "Staffs, staff so says, the bag ain't gonna do shit for me. I said, I'm dead, you know? But anyway, the plan was uh, we get all set up and everything. And they were gonna go downstairs, talk to the cops, get the cops to get her attention and start talking to us. So when she turned to look into the room and everything, I was going off the roof. So just before I did that, they told me, they said, you know, she's got a razor. You know, I said, what? They said, yeah, she's got a razor. She's like, so razors and ropes, dang, and, you know, don't go, you know. So what are you going to do? I said, I'll show you what I'm going to do. I said, you just get her attention. I said, when I go over the side, I said, I'll kick her so friggin' hard. I said, she won't know what hit her and that's how it worked out. They got her attention. I went off the roof, and I kicked her, and she went in the fucking room, and she landed on the floor, and everybody jumped on her and everything, and I'm still dangling out there in midair on a piece of rope. So, I'm hollering, hey, hey, fuck her, get me in, you know?
1: Because I didn't (laughs) want to be hanging around out there longer than what I had to. (laughs) So I got her anyway how uh high was the like how high up was she
2: 17 stories wow yeah she's top florida ritz calton that's 17 stories
1: and she had a well, razor in her hand right
2: well, that's what they said they told me that but if she had i mean once they jumped on her i don't know maybe they got it away from her or something you know but anyway in the meantime they had uh for the plan was to do what I did. They talked. She was an inpatient at the, uh, what do you call it, the psych hospital in Waltham, you know, the Fernal School or something. But they talked to her doctor out there, and he said that uh, if you don't do something quick, he said she will jump. So anyway, uh, that was the plan. The plan was, you know, we can't fuck around with this. We gotta, we gotta do it and get it over with, you know. So that's what I did, you know, went off the edge there and uh, give her a kick, you know. But uh, today, I see people, I mean, uh, you know, I work down the state academy here. With these kids in drill school that are going on these different departments. And they're training them in all aspects of the fire service. And one of them is ropes. And not only just down here, but on the Boston Fire Department. They use what they, they call a main line, a belay line, a safety line. And they use about four lines to do one rope rescue. Going back in my day, I used one rope. That was it, you know, which was kind of stupid. Because today, I mean, if the main line failed, you've got a safety line on you and you got a belay line on you. So you're really not going to get hurt. My day when I did it, it was all over. That line snapped, you know. So that's how the fire service has changed a lot. As far as gear that they were using or wearing and procedures that they do. Uh, I don't know. It's it's changed a lot, you know.
1: And there was, uh, like, there's photos of you going off the side of the like the, what was it called, the parapet, I think? Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I look at those photos, and I'm like in awe just watching, and you just, or just looking at them, and you got the Walter Scott medal. What's that, the second highest medal?
2: Yes, yeah. Yeah,
1: and then um, three years later, there was another one, another uh, called the Boston City Hospital Rescue.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. there's uh, a veteran, I guess, a Vietnam veteran. He was on the roof of the city hospital, and he was throwing rocks at cars going by and everything. And this was right down the street from headquarters, and we happened to, uh, we happened to be at headquarters that day. And they called us on the radio and told us to respond to a jumper at the city hospital. So we only had to drive about a block. So we pull up and everything. And um, here he is, he's, he's throwing rocks and everything. And again, the cops are up there. They're trying to talk to him and everything. And he's running around on the roof and he's drawing rocks, cars and people and shit. So they said, how the hell are we going to do this one? So meantime, a lot 15 had come in and I said to them, I said, throw the aerial, I says, alongside, alongside the building here, you know? And I says, then that way there, maybe we can corner him. So anyways, I they throw the ladder up there. I go up the ladder and I'm talking to him. He's about, well, no, I don't maybe seven, eight feet away from me. And he's telling me he's gonna jump. I said, How are you gonna jump? I said, I'm right here. You ain't gonna jump. I said, In fact, if you were gonna jump, you'd have done it a long time ago. <laughs> so yeah, he's fuck you, he says. And he runs to the other side of the roof and He's going to jump over there. So I said, have ladder 17, throw their aerial up on the side. So we got him conning. Anyway, now he comes back over to me, and he's looking at me, and uh, he says, that's it. He says, I'm jumping. I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I said, look, why don't you just go in the hospital there? The two cops are over there. I said, we knocked the shit off. I said, it's lunchtime. I said, I'm hungry. I said, you're probably hungry. I said, and just that'll be the end of everything, you know? So he looks at me, he says, yeah. He says, fuck you. So he takes his arm out of his jacket. He climbs over the side of the, the roof there. There's a, uh, like a conduit pipe that electrical, uh, wires ran in. And he's got his toes on the piece that holds it to the side of the, uh, the building. So now I'm, I don't, I'm two, three feet from him anyway. And, He takes his arm out of his jacket. He turns around and he jumps. Well, as he jumped, I grabbed him, and I'm hanging on to him, and he's hanging off the side of the aerial ladder. So I holler down to the kid on the turntable. I says, drop the aerial down. Drop it down. So instead of dropping it down, he hits the rotation lever, and he throws me and him into the building, the side of the brick building. So I get my arms all smashed as shit anyway. And then he finally realized he he hit the wrong lever. And then he drops it down and got about 10 feet off the ground. I couldn't hang on to him anymore. And I let him go, you know. But uh, meantime, all the rest of the guys come running up the ladder to assist me, you know. And that, by then it was pretty much over. There's a picture of that, too, somewhere.
1: Yeah, I think that was in the Boston Globe. And I... Uh... It's a black and white photo, but you you're holding on to this guy by your fingertips.
2: Pretty much, yeah. Well, my grips, yeah. I was, I was hanging, and I I'm not a weightlifter or anything either. You know, and I don't know how the hell I did it, but I did it. How
1: uh, awesome. how high was it when he jumped? Like, uh,
2: he was about seven or eight stories, I guess. Yeah.
1: And, you cu- and then you catch them and then like 10 to 15 feet off the ground is when you just kind of you couldn't hold on to them anymore
2: yeah that was about it Yeah.
1: because like normally when I see that happen in like a movie I'm like there's no way that somebody could catch somebody like that but you did it
2: <laughs> well yeah <laughs> it, it's amazing sometimes I mean it's like afterwards you say how the hell they do that you know and again I mean I didn't have no life belt on me I didn't have no leg lock on the ladder. I mean, I'm just... I don't know. I just grabbed all the of them, and uh, that's why I said, lower the ladder quick, you know, because I don't know how long I could have held on to him. you know. And then when they got about, like I say, about 10 feet off the, the other roof, I just... I, I couldn't hang on any longer. I had to let him go, you know. But at least... Uh, at least he won't splatter all over the place, you know.
1: Right. And, uh... You were also, um, like scuba qualified with the rescue company and, uh, can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Uh, well, I was on a dive team, which was about 20 of us and we did a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of recoveries, mostly, uh, dead people and shit, you know, in fact, I got a guy one time, uh next to the aquarium there. It was in the summertime, warm weather, and we got a call of a person in the water. So we go over there, and um, now the aquarium isn't that far from the firehouse. And as we get over there, and I see this guy in the harbor there. He's flailing all around. He's trying to stay above the water and everything. And there had to be about 20 people there standing there looking at him, right? And... So I pulled up. I didn't have any, uh, no no school gear or nothing, but I see this guy, it looks like he's drowning. And I, I look at the people, that I, Jesus Christ, I said, you know, I jumped in the water anyway. All I had on was a t shirt and work pants, you know. I got him anyway, and uh, we get him out of the water, and I turn around, I said to the people all standing there, I said, what, fucking nobody up here knows how to swim or anything, you know? watch a guy drown and they all kind of looked looked at me. Nobody said nothing and they all walked away, you know. But, uh, I had that one and then we had out in the middle of the Charles River, a guy beat the shit out of his girlfriend and threw her off the uh, that salt and pepper shake uh, bridge. And that was in, uh, that was cold, that water there. So, I ended up out there, and uh, we uh, grabbed her, got her into the boat. Uh, there was two cops grabbed some boat that was there on the side by the, uh, the Charles River Yacht Club, I guess it is. And they come out, and I almost tipped the boat over with the two cops in <laughs> it. <laughs> but they uh, I got her. I don't know. She, died, I think she ended up dying, you know. She was alive for a while. Uh, what else? Yeah, it's... Like I say, most of them, uh... They were body recoveries, you know?
1: Yeah, and, uh, do you ever do, like, evidence collection? Like, with, like, police? Is that a thing, or no?
2: Yeah, well, I actually... They took the Boston Fire Dive Team. And they had, uh... I can't think of the guy's name, but he was a, he owned this company, it was out in the Midwest or something, and he was a retired trooper, and he had a couple of guys working for him, and he went around the country, teaching people different maneuvers, as far as uh, how to collect evidence, how to preserve evidence, how to do a grid search underwater, and he uh, he taught, taught all of us, you know, and, uh, so we were all certified on, uh, underwater, uh, uh underwater criminologists and, uh, you know, and things like that. And he was also the guy when this anthrax was a big thing, he went and he taught state, you know, state cops, FBI people on how to, you know, handle that and what to look for, how to look for, how to collect evidence, where you would find evidence, so it was a pretty interesting course, and that lasted for, uh, oh, I don't know, about a couple of weeks anyway, you know. And part of the course was he took, uh, you know, bullets, and he threw them in the water. And then we would go the next day, and we would look for them. And I'll be a son of a bitch if we didn't find them, you know, pieces to a gun, you know. And uh, that was uh, that was pretty neat. And also there was another guy, two Navy guys that uh, they did the recovery on the USS Cole, you know, the one over there in Yenom, um, with the, uh, They blew the, uh, the, uh, the, what do you call it, the Navy ship? Yeah. Right? They ran, they blew that up. Well, these two guys, these two Navy divers, they were the ones that recovered some of the bodies. And when they retired from the Navy, I guess they went around. And they started teaching classes, a dive team, on how to uh, uh, they call sweep a ship, and you know with lipid mines and everything. And so we were all certified in that too. So we had, we had quite a few certifications, you know. And some of them, you know, what to look for on a ship, uh, what not to touch, what to stay away from. And they actually took dummy mines. And they planted them on the uh, the hull of the ship and everything. And we'd have to go down and find them. And they would also say that uh, some of these mines that they were using, a light activated. So if you shine a light on it, he said, all you would hear is the boom, boom, boom. That would be the India, you, know? So it was pretty interesting.
1: And uh... they
2: also, they, they had to have a guy go up into the wheelhouse. And they lock out and tag out, you know, all the, uh, trolls and everything up in the
1: wheelhouse. So. And then, um, there was a moving into one of your, uh, or in 2001 in Charlestown, uh, you rescued an elderly woman. Do you remember that call?
2: uh yeah actually uh it was a pretty good fire over there and uh three decker or whatever and we got in there and they started doing a search i get up on I think it was the second floor and quite a you know quite a bit of a fire up there you know and the engine companies are up there knocking fire down and everything and myself and this other guy <clears throat> went into one of the rooms there in this, elderly woman was like sitting in the chair and she was burnt, you know, and, but she was still alive. So naturally you got to get her out of the building quick, you know? So I ended up, I took her, put her over my shoulder anyway. And down the stairs I went and got her outside. And uh, they took her, you know, she went to the hospital and I don't, know, maybe a week or so later she died. She passed on because of the burns, but the family sent me a nice letter. Thanking me, telling me that, you know, I did a great job and it's too bad that the outcome, you know, wasn't better than what it was. And I mean, they praised me up and down about it, you know. But again, it's, you know, it's doing your job, I guess, being in the right place at the right time. I think I got something for that, too.
1: Yeah, you got the (laughs) role of merit for that one. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but there's, like, a couple more things. Uh, I wanted to ask you, there's a famous photo. It's probably, like, one of my favorite photos, honestly, just because I think it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just, like, outrageous but awesome at the same time. It's you wearing uh, Sperry's while you're, like, responding to a call.
2: (laughs) yeah, that, uh... see, naturally, I mean, you're supposed to wear all your protective gear. So 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, I mean, you're in bed or whatever, you know, you get a run, and you get out of bed, and you, I had these Sperry's, you know, I put the Sperry's on and everything, and out the door we go, and get, uh, these two or three people got hit by a car on Hanover, not Hanover Street, uh, Commercial Street. So we go over there, and these people are running to the cars. So, oh, jeez, you know, we were over there, we trying to set jacks up and everything, get the car up off them trying to get them out from underneath the car and, you know, not realizing that, you know, uh, I had the Sperrys on. And, you well, know, somebody took a picture and it was on, it was in the Herald or something, somewhere. Well, headquarters called up one who the fuck had the Sperrys on <laughs> <laughs> and didn't have the proper, you know, work shoes on or whatever. But, uh, and speaking of that, there was, I also got a call from headquarters on that Boston City Hospital rescue. They called up, and they started, like, chewing my ass out, saying, you almost tipped that ladder truck over, ladder 15. I said, well, first of all, I wasn't driving ladder 15. Second of all, did I save the guy's life? Well, what the fuck are you bitching about? Yeah, but the jacks come up off the ground. It's not my problem, you know. My right. problem was I had a job to do and I did it. You know, why the fuck you on I me mean for? But, like I say, they, I don't know, the Sperry shoes and the ladder truck, not everything is done by the book.
1: <laughs> right. And uh, so, how many years did you do with the Boston Fire Department? 43. And that was 1970 to 2013? Correct. Yeah. Um, do you know like how many calls you've gone to in your career?
2: Oh, no. Nah, I, I had no idea. I know there's quite a few. I know sometimes during the course of a day or night, you do 10 you know, you do three, you do five. It varied. Yeah, it's, uh, the trucks are busy back then, you know. I think ladder 15, probably doing about 4,000 a year, 4,000 runs a year. You break that down, you know, same thing with the rescue companies. They do about 3,000, you know, all different, uh, you know, types of calls and shit, you know.
1: I also forgot to ask you a question. I brought it up when I when we recently talked on the phone. Um, you're in a firehouse. Uh, sometimes people make some meals. Yeah, uh, some food. Oh, uh, yeah. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Your experience.
2: Well, my experience was I was an eater. I wasn't a cook. <laughs> but we had some pretty good meals. You know, we had guys that cook roast roast beefs, crown uh, roast. Uh, pork roast uh, mashed potato I mean we had you know from soup to nuts and the price usually run usually run about ten dollars you know but I mean that included dessert and everything I mean we ate very well in fact I think when I retired I ended up losing weight you know, <laughs> yeah and uh, and it was like oh I don't know there was two least a couple maybe three guys that did all the cooking you know and uh one of the funny things was was they decide the day before on what we were going to have for supper the next day and like i said some of the guys had cooked some good meals so this one guy was his turn to you know get the meal and cook it and everything so the next night we came in he said, what are we having for supper? He, saw, he said, I got it downstairs in my car. He wouldn't tell us what we had. Then around supper time, you know, maybe 6 o'clock or something, they start getting the, the meal ready. He comes up with a couple of shopping bags. He had about 30 cans of you know, beef macaroni or some fucking thing. Chefs, you know. Yeah. So it was like, are you shitting me or what? You know, we have good meals here. You come. This is what you come up with? They want to kill him, you know? (laughs) Beef aroni or some fucking thing,
1: yeah. I mean, especially being in Boston, and you have the uh, North End, so you got all the Italian food. You could have just got something like that, right? Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: And then, uh, so you retire. You you said you're, like, teaching now? What have you been up to since retirement?
2: No, I, I work for the State Fire Academy. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. I um, they have these different props. They call a maze. It's a trailer, 53 foot trailer. And they have a flashover trailer. It's also a 53 foot trailer. And they take them to different parts of the state. And these smaller departments around, they train on them. You know, and then when they're done training on them, I go and I I pick them up. But that's my job here with the state, and uh, that's what I just did now. I just dropped a trailer off in uh, in Hamilton, and I picked one up in Leicester. So next couple of days, I'll have to go get them, you know, and they're done with them.
1: Oh, okay. And uh, there was also uh, the Liars Club, which you took me to in – I think that was in 2020. And- yeah. Can you uh, talk about like what the Liar's Club is?
2: Well, what it is is a lot of retirees, obviously. That uh, they go there on Wednesdays and they have, you know, coffee and donuts, and they sit around for you know all morning, and then they talk about different things and how how the job is going, and how uh, well, something just happened. You know? but anyway. Yeah, they uh, they sit around and talk about that, and some of them turn around and say, "Oh yeah, you know, I did more running, I did more fires, I did ball busting, is what it is, you know." But a lot of them guys, uh, they've all passed on, you know. What do you call it, uh, Leo Stapleton, the ex-fire commissioner? Yeah, you know, he just died not too long ago. Uh, he was a you know a member down there. And uh, that's that basically what the Liars Club is. Not everybody goes down there. Just some people that still want to stay intact with the job, they're the ones that go down, you know. And uh, that's basically what it is. You know? Billy Noonan, he's a great photographer. He's down there all the time, you know. And uh, who else? Yeah, that's, that's about it, I guess.
1: I had uh, Mike Foley on. I interviewed him. He's down there sometimes. Oh, yeah. I don't know if he still yeah, goes. Yeah, he so. does.
2: Yeah, he goes down there quite a bit.
1: Winslow, have you been down there recently?
2: I was supposed to be there today, but I ended up making money instead.
1: It's <laughs> always <laughs> so next week, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll be down there probably next week.
1: And that's on Moon Island where the, uh, is that where the Fire Academy training is? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I appreciate you uh, spending like an hour of your time to do this. So this is going to be a podcast, which is like I edit the, um, edit our interview, and then I release it to like um, you'll be able to listen to it on like an app, or I can send it to you so you'll be able to listen to it. Does that sound cool? <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, I hope
0: you have a great rest of your day.
2: All right, then. You take care. You as well. Yep, yep. Bye.